This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, how you doing? We're back and we're ready for it all over again. It's Swindon Town. Rich is away in Bonnie, Scotland. He's going to enjoy St Mirren versus Wraith Rovers, and he should enjoy some football because, well, Swindon had a dismal Tuesday evening at Sutton United this week. It was a Valentine's night to forget, as that night was the night when two undone one. And that left Jody Morris and the depleted SCFC in need of some love, like they've never needed love before. Standing in their way, a trip to former media darlings and now lead to mainstay Salford City, who sit in sixth and are looking to go up at the fourth time of asking. And speaking of asking, our mainstay in the press room is here. It's Joe Acklam. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm all right. We're both feeling a little under the weather. I don't think my Spice Girls, Emma Bunton, was quite up to scratch, but you got the idea, right? Yeah, I think it was all there. It was was good quality content. Double Joe, double ill. It's what everyone wants, isn't it? Absolutely. Lots of uh, sniffing and working our way through it as well. I feel like, you know, Rich's thing is just sort of going in it or doing your name in a funny way. Steal a shtick, steal a shtick, that kind of thing. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to get your own thing. And, you know, it's nice when we get a few guest podcasts and we get the, the puns out of their early doors. It's, it's good stuff. I'm, I'm a sucker for the puns. That's the thing. And so I'm just curious to know, how was your Valentine's night watching this game? Yeah. Uh, well, I was sort of following this game as I watched PSG Bayern Munich, which meant that my attention slipped a lot more towards Swindon as the evening went on, as it was became clear that that was a rough something of a damp squib. But um, you know, it was 
I mean, it was good for about half nine-ish. It was all right. Yeah, did you think checking your phone then, you thought that there's no real need to worry too much about this? It's all going all going swimmingly. No, I've supported Swindon for, for long enough to know that uh, <laughs> it was it was going swimmingly just about, but uh, looking at the, uh, don't want to do the promo for them, but the advertiser, the, the light bulb seemed to be sounding like weird. They were, uh, Sutton were getting closer and closer and then... Um, and then the inevitable happened, and then I switched over to the commentary on BBC Wiltshire after the first goal went in, and it got even worse. So I was—it's just a lovely time to be alive. Yeah, the unfortunate thing was we don't play for about seventy minutes, and then the creep really started to um, to set in. Um, did you catch up on the extended highlights? Have a look for yourself. What were your impressions? Yeah, I had a look back through because I was because we're doing the um, what we learned articles now for away games. So there's some total content. Uh, out there it just doesn't look like we're not ignoring them but um you know it, it did feel like we kind of got what we deserved in that game personally I'm, I'm of the opinion that it wasn't a foul on Solbrin for the first goal I know people think that it was and Jody Morris before we started was was very adamant that it was but I, I thought it was a bit a bit soft from some Bryn to get beaten as he did and then Sutton it's a sucker punch but they've been on top the entire evening you know, you look through the stats, you look through all the longer highlights and everything, and it, it does feel like they got what they deserved from the game. Yeah, I think that's I think that's quite quite a fair assessment, and I think that there was a kind of consensus that whether it was a foul or not, that Bryn should have done more. And a star turn as well from Marcus Fjortoff, friend of the pod, doing the uh, co-coms. Did you catch uh, Rob Dinsey, listener to the show? He caught that there was a. Um, there was a little reference to this this very this very thing. There was a professor reference in his comms. Yes, I heard. Um, I don't know if it's the one that he means, but I heard Marcus Fiotov describe Sadio Khan as a one out of five player, which I remember is some exact uh, almost verbatim <laughs> quote from what Rich said uh, during the Monday's episode of the presser. So it's lovely to know that at least one of the Fiotovs has in fact listened to this. Oh, surely Jan has listened at least to his own episode. His sting is one of my uh, favourite bits in in the ones Rich has. But he doesn't send that over, so that's um, that's a great shame. Yes, he said that some fans think that uh, Khan is a one in five player. I must be seeing the one, which I think was a affectionate nod rather than a dig. It reminded me of this would be before your time. This is this will be one for the uh, the oldie chaps here. When I first used to watch Swindon in the mid to late 90s, in the days of Brunel Classic Gold, and you'd have an advert for a chap called Sandy Martin doing Predict the Score, and at the bottom, the tagline of this, this would be playing like the old songs from the 60s and whatever, uh, the tagline was, it's not just you, Steve McMahon listens too. So, presser listeners, it's not just you, Marcus Fjortoff listens too. A little homage there. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to add to the late 90s stuff other than from a predictions column. I still think we need Danny and Gesson to come back for Danny is and guessing column at some, some some outlet needs to do that. <laughs> You're the contact of total. Make it happen. I like it. He could have a, a go off with Sandy Martin, maybe. I wonder where he is now. We'll find out for another show. Right. I think that lots and lots have been said about all the content providers over the week. So it is time to dust ourselves off, try again, and look ahead to Saturday's game against Salford with, of course, Jody Morris. What's the what's the kind of vibe to these these pressers? Are they having a, a kind of moribund effect? He was very generous in his opening presser of giving well over an hour. Uh, I think you only got 
a little snippet of that if you're listening on BBC Wiltshire, but I know that the guys at the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge had the whole thing streaming on Spaces, and it ran for, I think, over 60 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I had, um, I think my recording's 50 minutes of the initial podcast, and then we spoke to him a, a little bit later, Andrew and I, and that was another 15 minutes on top of that. So I think long is the way to describe Jody Morris' press conferences in in most ways. Uh, it might have felt like a really long gap for everyone because I was, I think it was Johnny Leefield's last question. I was just sort of typing all of his words and it was very quickly sprawling into looking like something I might have written for a university essay. He gives in-depth answers. I don't know if there's necessarily loads and loads of detail, but they're very long. Well, you probably have a little bit of a, a sense of the Groundhog Day to some of these because you're going to be asked the same questions. And that's, of course, where we're going to start because um, on the last presser, we're talking about Ed Brand and we're hoping that that was going to be sorted that very day, which was Monday. And now it's eight o'clock on Thursday. And he was unveiled, right? Yeah, he was there and all smiles and can't wait to get started. Or did something else happen, Joe? Um, it. I'm going to pick option B. Um, we still don't know. Um, I think what we have garnered, though, is from what Jenny Morrison said and what um, Tom Clayton said as well. He is like essentially an assistant manager. I think he's just not allowed on the touchline. So he is because Tom Clayton said later on he's Ed Brand and Jody Morris are two of the best coaches he ever had, which obviously means that Ed Brand is on the training ground. He's doing all of that stuff, so he's clearly involved, even if we are still at the same point where, yeah, I've been told basically, Jody Morris essentially said in every single one of our press conferences, uh, I've been told basically every day that Ed Brand was going to be done and uh, he's still not. And we don't know what the reason is. Uh, There there was a telling quote in this one where he says, it feels like someone isn't making it a priority, which for me feels like it must be on the Chelsea or the EFL or the FA end because it doesn't make any sense from a Swindon perspective to not be making this a priority. I mean, we're not in a transfer window, so there's not loads of other stuff for, say, Dima Cayley to be doing right now or whoever else would be in charge of this particular uh, venture. So it, that definitely feels like Chelsea and, and the EFL are dragging their heels and spending loads of time doing other things. But it's still very much the... F'd if I know answer from Jody Morris. And he's not considering just having a, a, a temporary assistant in, in the interim, is he? No, he's he's not. He's he's kind of <laughs> thinking that he's got, you know, Ed Brown can't sit with him on the bench, but he does all the other stuff. And we have, there's still a fairly extensive staff that Swindon have, obviously Gavin Gunning and Steve Milne, all the notable ones, but we've got all the sort of conditioning and, and all the other technical staff. So there's more than enough people to fill up a bench at the weekend, they don't necessarily need 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 Ed Brand for that stuff as much as they would like to have him. So they're not thinking of doing a temporary one. And as we learned on Monday from my question, he's also not thinking about another option. So he's still very much is Ed Brand or it's no one. But it's it's taking its time. It's a, they're really really dragging this one out. Well, we love a Friday announcement, don't we? So let's cross our fingers that this time, this time, that this news will be an irrelevance by the time that people get to listen to this. Um, I'm not sure I've read about this one in the write-ups, but as we went to Sutton, I assume it was a good opportunity to try and um, have a word in someone's ear, maybe send uh, Mildenhall over to 
sort out the Lewis Ward situation? Yeah, I, I, I mean, we were talking about that. We, we were up there, so surely there could be some movement. But um, I, th- I don't think we talked in specifics about players anymore because I think all three of us kind of at the point where we're thinking, presumably they're just going to tell us when we sign Lewis Ward. But it, there's definitely not been any movement there. They're still looking at various free age options to see who they can bring in, who can make a difference. But things there, they're, you know, they're still very much taking their time on who who is the right fit, who can come in and make that difference. And they're exploring avenues, but Lewis Ward is still not happening yet. And it's the same story with any other free agents. I know everyone wants that 35-year-old centre-back, the grizzled veteran who is simultaneously available, but still can make a big difference to us straight away. It doesn't seem like that's going to be forthcoming particularly quickly. No, and it's not the idea deal conditions to come into a job to have you know delays on your transfers and also we'll get onto the um the availability which is kind of what kind of uh, underpinned the um Sutton game anyway how do you think that uh, Morris is managing these little setbacks and what's his what's his philosophy well i i think the results on the pitch would tell you they're not managing them particularly well uh, he's he seemed very philosophical about it that obviously they've things haven't gone as they wanted they didn't necessarily get all the players they would have liked on deadline day various reasons go into that and Ed Brand has taken longer than he would have wanted and Lewis Ward has taken longer than anyone would have wanted and all these all these things and the many many injuries we seem to have had all going against them but you know he's very much oh, certainly in in t- in the way he's talking, it's about you, know, you can you can only control certain things, and that they are very much getting on with it. But I think something of a rude awakening to what League Two is like for Jody Morris. I don't think he could have expected his the beginning of his first managerial reign to have gone even nearly as badly as this has gone. No, it's certainly certainly set him up in a difficult position. But I think on the opposite side of the coin it has definitely given him you know kind of sympathetic outlook from the fan base I think that many people could look at the situation he's found himself in in some ways inherited or just just availability and selections and how they've gone that is somewhat blameless in that looking at availability how is that physio bench looking how are those injuries I mean, I must say, it's not going well injury-wise. It feels like everyone's gone back from where we were two weeks ago, which I'm not quite sure how that's the case. Um, Joe Tomlinson is increasing what he's doing. I think he said he was kicking balls and um, you know doing more and more running as we go along, but he's still not involved in first-team training and he's still a little bit away from it. So he's, by the sounds of things, no further forward than he was the day he walked in the door in terms of being close to being in the team because we were told two to three weeks at the time. Uh, Marcel Lavinia, again, he was sort of a two to three weeker when we first heard about this injury, but he's further away than Louis Tomlinson, um, Joe Tomlinson. It's not Louis Tomlinson. He's uh, he's still struggling with his hamstring. He's not, he's again, not really involved in the first team training at all. Reese Devine, who I feel like has come into first team training at least like five times since his injury. He's back in training. He was in it today, but they need to figure out how he responds to the demands and the rigours of being back in that. Because obviously, when you've not been around it, you don't necessarily know how that will impact you, and if anything will flare up again. And Tyree Shade is in the in the same position, but there is 
possibly slightly further ahead because he he's been in training for a couple of days. They're still waiting to see how he's responding, but there's there's a chance he might be involved this weekend. Which, when you look at the state of Swindon's attacking options, would be really quite useful. I, I you know, Shade's not necessarily had an absolutely dazzling first season, but just having enough of forward player would be quite useful. Johnny Williams as well, he's not doing good. He's had a, a supposedly a tough few days in terms of recovering from his concussion. So he's absolutely no way to be involved this week. And next week would probably feel quite soon as well. They're going to have to send him back in for tests next week and see and send him to two different people to see if he can even be considered to return to training. But he's, you know, that that's sounding like it's going to be at least another two weeks. So, yeah, it... I think it would be fair to say the injury situation is not looking too good. Um, the only person anywhere close to coming back would probably be Rashan Hepburn Murphy from his free game suspension, which would end after this weekend. Yeah, one weekend. I was I was counting through them, and I know that you know some of them in various stages of rehab. Joe War, Louis Tomlinson. I hope he's going just one direction. That is to full fitness. Well, hey. But hey, you like that one? That was good. Um, and also, I think they're probably a bit. Not really in the forefront of fans' minds, but if I think of Brand, the sub-goalkeeper, and Harry's, of course, and Baldry are both not considered. They're both out as well, including Hepburn Murphy for his suspension. That's nine people not available to be picked. And I'm not imagining any huge surprises based on the lineup of what we'd had on Sutton. I don't think it'd be a huge spoiler to expect that we'll probably go exactly the same again. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's too much choice. I think if you look at that injury list, there's probably at least at least four of those guys would be starting if they were available. And you know, we're we're somewhat bare bones where the squad is, which at full strength is is you know a lot a significant amount deeper than it was last season. But at the moment, it's probably in the same place in terms of who we've got available to us. I imagine it would stick with, as you say, almost an identical team. You might see Jake Kane come back into the team, maybe. Or switch around the forwards, or I say forwards. Luke Jeffcott might come out, and they bring someone else into that. But yeah, I can't see there being much room to manoeuvre for Jody Morris. And I think the problem with that is you don't really have a lot of room for manoeuvre in terms of changing things either. I couldn't help but think for Tuesday that seventy minutes in, the kind of people that I'd really like to bring on. The people who are accused of slowing down games or things like that, our experienced departed friends, uh, would have been ideal. I don't know if if you're chasing a result or if you're you know trying to squeak a win. Heaven forfend in Salford, then that Rowan Darcy in Scrappy Do mode is exactly what you need to bring off the bench. But like you say, we have we have the hand that we're dealt with, and we'll have to work with that. What was Jody Morris's impressions of Salford? We know a lot about them in the pre-Wrexham fairy tale days. They were, of course, the the fated team that used to get a lot of coverage. But they kind of just seemed to be a, a another another league to uh, stalwart. Now, what was his views? They're up there in sixth, quite a footballing side, a former friend and ex-sponsored player of the pod, Louis Barry, is up there. I think we're probably the only people who acknowledge that. But what was Jody Morris expecting? Yeah, you definitely feel for Salford a little bit these days now that they've not got the most famous owners in 
in the football league anymore, but they're definitely more of a possession side. They've they've got the third highest possession in the in the entire division behind only Swindon and Leighton Orient. So they're they're very much a, a different beast to certainly to Sutton and Newport who we've played recently, who were a lot more of a, a long ball side. You know, he was it which makes it a very difficult game. And he was talking about, you know, if we've not been able to hold the ball as well against Sutton, then in the way that we played that, then you know we kind of have to maybe try and take a few things from the way Sutton played in terms of punishing teams when they maybe struggle to keep the ball like Swindon have been doing, as well as obviously improving the way that the way that they um they play football themselves because obviously Swindon have not been terribly comfortable playing out in the past couple of games. It was it was also suggested about the Sutton pitch by Johnny Leefield that it's not a particularly good surface, but. Um, again, Morris sort of weighed that one away in terms of you're not really going to find many good pitches in League Two in February because you know they've they've all not got enough investment to stick around this long. And given Salford's uh, large predominance of the ball in their games, clearly they're figuring it out themselves. So it should be fine enough for Swindon to do it. A interesting challenge for Jody ahead to not succumb to making it four in a row, a connect four of losses. I think I'm quite encouraged that he's got the balance right of not sugarcoating his feelings, you know, on how the job has been going so far. But he he does seem to be a bit of a pragmatist. He's someone who's forward thinking, isn't he? Yeah, I think I agree. I think this is probably quite a tough line to walk at the moment in terms of you know, if this team is playing well and you can't, this team is not playing well and you can't try and lie to the fans and say that they are, but also you can't be too negative about it at the same time. And he's, he's been talking about that in terms of how they're, they're trying to react and how he's acted with, with, with the team. Because again, after Doncaster, he tried to show the players, you know, these are the areas that we did well in. We could try and build off of these, even if there was a lot that wasn't going wrong. And then maybe after Sutton, he's let them sit with it a little bit and then, you know, try and press in the stuff that they aren't doing quite as well. So both in terms of being in front of us and talking to the players, he, he feels like he is doing a good job of managing that tightrope, even if we've not yet seen the fruits of it. Yes, he might be quite limited in terms of how much that he can tinker. We had the three-five-two with the uh, pseudo wingback thing going on. And you asked the question on rethinking formations. So should we have a quick listen? Yeah. In the last three of the last four, you conceded two goals within four minutes of each other. One of them obviously not on your watch, but same group of players. What do you feel like that comes down to? Is it mentality, experience, or just bad luck at some point? What do you put um, that up to? I don't want to sound like pretty simple. I think it's a bit of all that, to be honest. Um, it's it's clearly a problem. I think if you if it happens multiple times over a long period of time, I'm I'm hoping <laughs> for my sake and for the lad's sake that it's just um, it's like coincidence. But if the nature of the goals that we let in the last two games was maybe slightly different, I would. I would maybe say that, but it, it was. I think focus was one of the things in the game before um, against Doncaster. It was certainly the fact that we was on top and lacked focus for the first goal, and then the fact that it happened so quickly again from a similar sort of aspect. Um, I think the one the other night was a bit more of a sucker punch. The fact that we felt that we was close to getting over the line for the three points and. 
obviously we we've all seen now that we was really unjustly um, served by like obviously a missed decision which cost us the what we felt at the time would have been three points. But then if you don't come away with a point and we're all really really disappointed. Um, the last thing you can do is come away with nothing and I felt the way that obviously the fact that they had their tails up and would just keep bombarding the ball into our box um, there's an element of that that you can say is down to the, the mentality but I, I actually believe that the kind of mentality thing started before they scored their first goal yeah and then a bit like what Johnny was asking but the two goals that you have scored until your tenure have been fairly similar situations with Ellis and FPT linking up on the left has the way that you've played in the back three sort of changed your opinion on what you thought your best formation is? Uh, no, not 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 necessarily. Um, I felt that there's there's always ways in which we can get we can always get into the final third and create chances. Um, I stated before the game in in the three that whenever we make passes and the sides of our three, we actually worked on was it F, FBT? I quite like that. <laughs> FBT getting forward. Um, we worked on that the day before in like the stuff that we played um, on him coming high up the pitch and being able to join him because he's got that ability. Um, so it was nice to see that. But as again, the frustrating thing for that was that we'd done it maybe two or three times in the first half and then it just absolutely slowed down. We stopped making passes. Felt whenever we made passes against Sutton, we caused problems, but we didn't do it enough. So um, as I said, in, in both when we played with a four or with a three stroke five, I think there's been elements where we've we've played into opposition's hands and we haven't done things well enough. But um, obviously, personnel sometimes can dictate how you're going to play, but also maybe ways in which we can maybe shore up defence or or get the right balance as far as um, team selection is is concerned. But I'm, I'm not sure that just the goals that we've scored is is one that I would lean on. That, kind of dictates that at the moment I mean arguably we've the two cleanest chances we have is when we was kind of under the cosh at Sutton with Wakey going through which was just pure energy and wanting to get get forward but I think we need to do better no matter whether it's a four or, or a three stroke five in, in that aspect because we we haven't been creating enough chances at all okay yeah because we have noticed that pattern as you as you alluded to and this is this is why I I quite like doing the presser, listening to presser is because you're you're coming later into the conference to get to ask some of the more interesting questions that do seem to you know concede in these patches and we know that Swindon have quite a a a rind of co-Chelsea fans going on and they're they're quite astute in knowing how he likes to play there's mixtures of 433s and diamonds and 352s were you thinking on the same sort of lines in terms of yeah, his flexibility of how he'd like to play? Yeah, I think he's mostly known in terms of Derby and Chelsea being 4-2-3-1. That's how Lampard's teams tended to set up there. And then that was kind of how we started under him. But both of the goals have come from whilst Swindon were playing a back three. And it comes from a situation you can't really get in a back four where Blake Tracy drives forwards and links up with... Iandolo, because if he if he's playing in as a, as a centre back, you're leaving so much room behind you. But as a left centre back, he can do that. 
and those two have linked up before the ball getting cut back. So it was just, you know, if he's come in thinking that four two three one is his preferred system, you know, has the fact that the, the only two goals we've scored have come from a very three five or three five two situation, has that kind of influenced it in any way? Yeah, I suppose initial thoughts is that if you've got the the two in the uh, defensive midfield of who would partner with Khan there, um, no surprises that I'd imagine that the the one up top would be Mr. Austin. Yeah, if if it's certainly one up top, you, you you've got to use Austin because he's not going to play left wing. Although I think he did briefly play right wing against Doncaster when we brought Carnu on, which was a bit weird. But he was def- I think they just wanted to move him about to sort of run around a bit, but. Yeah, you definitely think if it is his preferred system, 4-3-1, you would look Khan plus probably McEachern and push Austin further up. But I think 3-5-2 from what I, I saw of the game against Sutton definitely felt like it, it suited Swindon quite nicely and has allowed for ace break Tracy, who's very, very good when he can drive on. That's kind of one of his key attributes. He's not necessarily a particularly good attacking fullback, but when he can run from deep, um, he becomes more effective then, so I think that certainly plays into his hands. And just with the personnel available, I think I think it is really something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like I said, as I said earlier, it seemed to work. You just needed the bodies in to actually uh, rotate and swap out. But it was not just Jody Morris in the press room today, and there was a guest who may have some very firm feelings on that. You were joined by none other than Mr. Tom Clayton. Yeah, Tom Clayton is always he's one of the he's one of the. I mean, I mean, I feel like we've got some pretty good speakers in the squad right now. But you know, he, he speaks quite quickly, but he says a lot of very interesting things. I thought Tom Clayton. Yeah, I mean, we're retreading on ground here. We know that he came from the Liverpool Academy in the summer voluntarily. I seem to remember. I think he was captain the under twenty threes. Was it? He was one of the players who had really bright star everybody was raving about until he got blighted by that injury has kept him out for so long and only just starting to make his way back in in recent weeks but somebody who's you know got that recent elite academy experience you'd imagine that morris's approach would likely suit him well yeah i think easily will i think when he's played in the middle of a of a back three he has certainly against newport i thought he came on and played very well and then not so much the case against doncaster but you know, when when he can get fully up to speed and he had missed this, you know, he hasn't been where he's wanted to be since he's come back. Um, he definitely feels like he can continue to get a lot better and he, he's just a bit rusty. But you know, he, I think definitely the way Swindon are playing, he's you know, such a good ball-playing defender, Tom Clayton, that you know, when he can really get into the swing of things and, Swind- and Morris's ethos starts to rub off on the Swindon players a lot more, I think we'll see Tom Clayton playing as well, if not much better than we got to see earlier in the season. Yeah, and it's only inevitable that people are always going to ask about, you know, the the budding formations of that relationship. What what are his initial impressions of Jody Morris and how he is as a coach? Yeah, he was he was very impressed. As I said, he he said that Morris and and Brand were two of the best coaches that he worked with. Which someone who's come through the full Liverpool academy, I imagine he would have been across some fairly decent ones and I think the Scottish youth sides as well once or twice. So, you know, he's he's definitely got to probably probably work with some good ones. He's said that he's you know, the the way that they've trained has been, you know, really exciting. They everyone wants to be involved with it because it's it's competitive, it's different, it's really intense and 
uh, certainly from that perspective, the players have been really enjoying getting to work with Morris on the training ground. And, you know, that, that feels like something that would be very promising moving forwards because if they're enjoying that bit, then hopefully they, they will enjoy their football and start to actually get some results. Yeah, one of the things that has attracted people to the the Morris concept is, uh, you know, his cachet that you know he's a known name, and the idea that he'd have a broad list of contacts. How did how did Tom see that playing out in terms of the, you know, the squad makeup and what could be achieved from having him in the hot seat? Yeah, he he wasn't buying that so much in terms of, you know, Jody Morris comes in and you know who he is and. You know, he didn't say that he felt that that wasn't the reason you would necessarily respect someone. I think maybe for a for a player coming in, that might play more of a role. But he said that you know he didn't necessarily respect Jody Morris any more than he would have respected Scott Lindsay when he walked in when you know he met them him for the first time. Because just because he's been at Chelsea doesn't necessarily mean anything. But he's definitely sort of earned that respect in what they've been doing. Since then, and he, he definitely feels like he's he's someone he's, he's very much enjoyed working with. Yeah, I guess it's a different concept, to, you know, to previous times where we've had someone of that, you know, that Premier League caliber. That we've got quite a few players who have not only literally just come from that level, but also left voluntarily. So, yeah, that will be interesting to see how that shapes up. Um, Tom Clayton's been he's been unfortunate that you know his comeback is you know, coincided with, you know, the broader situation of various injuries of people being unavailable. What's, you alluded to it earlier, but what is his self-assessment of his form today coming back in? Yeah, he would be generally not pleased. I think, I mean, pretty much since Clayton's been out has been the period where Swindon have struggled. I think he would, because he sort of gets injured at Mansfield and then comes back briefly against Crawley and gets injured again. So I think he could sort of, I mean, I don't know if it's probably not the cause, but it's it seems to be linked time-wise in terms of that period. And he's come back into quite a difficult situation. And so far, he's he's not been pleased with himself particularly. He, he felt that he, he feels a bit rusty out there. He's not been playing as well as he can. And you know, he said he's got several more gears to move up through um, to, to get back to where he was playing, but has, for obvious reasons, has every confidence that as he keeps going, he will definitely get back there. Yeah, he was definitely somebody who, you know, at the start of the season managed to settle in fairly quickly. So I don't imagine that it would be that far away. Now, a lot of the discourse about this run of form and the, you know, the post-window malaise has been, of course, the the exodus of experience and the relative youth of the the team. But I think that... Tom Clayton fought his corner a bit on this, didn't he? Yeah, he, he definitely didn't buy into that at all, really. He said that you know, people will talk about that and it, it is something that always gets brought up when Swindon don't play well, but he, he would certainly himself never look at it like that. He would never think, you know, if, if we had a couple of older guys in this team, we would we would be doing better because... You know that that it's the it's the responsibility the players once they're on the pitch to to make that happen. You, you think, you know, may, maybe you need it, maybe maybe it doesn't matter as much, but it's definitely not something any of those players will ever really think about because a it's not something they can control, and b it's you know 
you've got you've got to look at yourself first, I think, before you start thinking what else could be here to help us. Yeah, the more I the more I think about it, the more that I do, you know, things on this pod. I'm starting to wonder if you know these these dream appointments that we have, where we think about you know a goalkeeper who's late thirties who just wants to give back and is happy to sit on the bench, and like you said earlier, the thirty five year old centre back with bags of experience who can slot in straight away and do a job. They might be more like mythical unicorns in terms of things off the wish list. They're not they're not everywhere, and they they usually come at a come at a hefty price or. They might have spent too long out the game to really get up to speed. But in terms of experience, you asked about somebody. So should we have a listen to your question to Tom Clayton? Let's do it. On the experience, what, what role does Charlie Austin really play in the dressing room? Because he's probably one of only a few really senior figures. He's been at the highest level. How big of a role is he playing with you guys? Uh, massive. I think even when he comes... I know it wasn't training, but I think even when Gaff was in interim... And it was his first few days, I think the standards he drove on and off the pitch were kind of probably what we needed at the time. I just, I just think even off the pitch he's driving standards and obviously he's a young group, he's, you don't need to... Charlie Austin's done everything in the game, so he, he is someone you kind of look at and kind of follow and want to follow in his footsteps. But he's definitely drove the standards and demanded more off everyone. Of course, there we go. The man of the moment, Mr Charlie Austin. Very much the senior leader now in that Swindon squad spoke very positively there what what do you think was his broader thoughts on what what Charlie gives to the group and to the club yeah this one is sort of you know if in doubt with a player audible out and ask about Charlie Austin um if you've got no idea what you want to ask them but so that's very much what I did today but it is always interesting to get their thoughts on on someone like that when they don't have quite as many experienced players around them um he's you know he was, he was it's very interesting whenever you get to hear you know stories about what what someone's like i guess and you know the way he's able to sort of drive them onwards with with the level that he plays at and the level that he has played at because all these young guys can be looking at a guy who's you know he's been in the england squad and played you know played premier league football scored 18 league goals in one season once and think you know that, that that's exactly what I want to do. So what what does he do to get there? And, and certainly, as always, and Tom Clayton, as as the other does, as the other guys have done, really buying into what Charlie Austin's selling on that training ground. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. You know, he's had the he's had the career that many of them would would look up to, and we've we've seen a few times with you know some of the post match antics of you know remonstrating the. Fans defending Jacob Wegling. There's something quite quite paternalistic and mentorship of Charlie Austin for these uh, these young guys. Yeah, he's he's defending the right to have a curry as well, which is which is very key. But he, you know, I think he's he's very much shown what he's all about since coming back. He's scored those big goals already. Um, I think Hanrahan um, tweeted about it after he scored against Sutton in terms of importance of the goals that he scored. And and also with all that off the pitch stuff, I, I don't think that definitely goes notice. If he goes into bat for someone like Jacob Wakeling, who's having a tough time up there, he's probably not experienced this kind of situation before. And he's getting stuff on social media and then your captain and your leader comes and, and sticks up for you like that. I think that's that's got to be really helpful for all of those players. Yeah, because I think, like cynically, sometimes I've looked at that and thought, "Why is he? Why is he nipping back at a fan who's making a you know mild criticism on Twitter?" Or, 
you know, giving some <laughs> lip back to some wild opinion coming from the town end. But I guess if you think about it in that broader context, I mean, he must have had goodness knows how much uh, dogs abuse on social media from Southampton days or QPR days in the Premier League of people giving you know their 2p probably does feel like water's off a duck's back for him but he's thinking about about those guys who might not be you know used to that kind of pressure yeah definitely and you know charlie and particularly charlie austin's opinion around here i mean i imagine it would be the same for everyone else but if if charlie austin was telling me to think something i would i would certainly reconsider my stance on it you know <laughs> clear, clearly the guy's not knows what what he's on about what you can't do that stuff if he if he isn't sure on that kind of stuff, so if if you were if you were talking smack about Jacob Wakeling and you know Charlie Austin, the, the hero of the club that he is, says, "What are you guys on about? <laughs> Shut up!" I I don't think that many people are going to keep speaking about it, and that and from that perspective, it just helps Wakeling because it eases a bit of the pressure. Yeah, all good, all good stuff. Right, okay. So let's us look to uh, the weekend and. As ever, to keep the tradition going, while I'm keeping Rich's seat warm for him, I'm going to be covering the game on Sunday as well, so looking forward to that. What's your predictions going in? Oof, I mean, can I predict Can I predict a fourth loss? I got Sutton right, bang on, in terms of scoreline. I was not proud of myself. It definitely feels like we shouldn't win, if to be perfectly honest, JR, but I don't know if I can bring myself to say that we well, which means that I think I'm just going to have to cop out and say 1-1. My initial feeling was exactly the same, thinking that it would be churlish and unfair to say another loss, yet, of course, deep in the gut, things do point that way. Yet, this occasion, you know, if it, if it is to be, and it is going to be a fourth loss on the bounce, I think maybe this game might be, if you're looking at those four fixtures beforehand, this might have been one way you would you would have taken it. Not after the other three, but uh, I won't go for a cop-out as much. I'll go for an even worse cop-out. I'm going to go nil-nil. How about that? I mean, it, it's, it sounds about right. It just, uh, it it feels like, you know, we've kind, of, we've kind of not produced in the, with all due respect to the last four sides we played, the easier sides we played against. Now we're playing an actually good team in Sutton, but... It just feels like in League Two, you can't be that bad for locked that long, can you? So, would would we really lose four four games in a row? Is that really something we're about to do? For the you know, for the sake of good content, I obviously hope not, and that maybe just you know, just managing to scrape out with a point, it might seem a daft thing to say, but that might actually give some belief and give us a chance to lick our wounds while various people come back into the fold for next week. Yeah, I think a point is at this point a very good result, just to just to tie us over a little bit. Hopefully, get get a little bit of of belief back into those players, and then maybe one or two of them can come fit again for next week, and maybe we can we we can have a bit of a better chance then. Yeah, we move again. Okay, so we'll both take the coward's way out. We've hit the forty minute mark or so. Joe, thank you very much, and here's hoping for a result of some sort. Thank you very much. The Lone Strangers is an independent podcast and views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The intro music of the presser is by the amazing Drag Me Down, influenced by the great Matthew Kilford. 
and the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. What a guy. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Made that sound I was going into a question, didn't I? <laughs> did <laughs> I, 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 was, I was wondering, <laughs> did I miss what I was supposed to answer? answer, answer, answer. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.